0: I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Paris Hilton is opening up about that interview with David Letterman. Six Dr. Seuss books are being pulled from the shelves. And our super special interview today is someone you all know. It's Zach, and he's
2: talking about his new book. It's March 2nd, 2021.
0: Hey friends, I'm Casey Rackham.
2: And I'm Zach Stafford. Welcome to BuzzFeed Daily, the Zach Stafford edition, peak Pisces season <laughs> moment, making it... I'm a Leo Rising, so this is where this is coming from, where I like really scammed a whole episode into yes, me and Casey yes. Kikiing about me.
0: <laughs> it's my birthday, I have a book, and this is about me.
2: <laughs> I swear I did not when the, the book is out, which we're going to talk about later, but I didn't even realize the book was days after my birthday in a pandemic where you get more attention than usual because people are board. And I was like, wow, people are really over me right now. <laughs> it's just like, hey, honestly, it was my birthday. Honestly, a book. You, sh-
0: you should have spread it out so you could get another month of congratulations and good texts.
2: <laughs> I know. I was like, I'm not getting flowers for this book because uh-huh. anyone that was going to send me flowers, sent me flowers for my birthday. So, and I don't have a man to uh, guilt into anything. So there we go. We're all good there. So anyway. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, let's move on to something that Zach, I know you have a lot of opinions on. But basically, Paris Hilton is opening up about her 2007 interview with David Letterman. Clips have been resurfacing of that interview thanks to new scrutiny over how the media has treated women in previous interviews. And given how this one sounds, you can probably hear why that's happening.
1: All I want to talk about. um, Have you? uh, Did you? Did you make any friends while you were in jail?
0: any more questions No more about questions it. About I'm Jill? here for my clothing line and my movie and my perfume. Okay. I'm not here
1: to talk about that.: But I, I would just say on. that a person in your position could serve now as I think an exemplary role model for, for youngsters, and, and there's a lot of trouble in the world for kids. they have to be very careful yeah. and they see now what has happened to you and it, it, it might occur to them, my gosh if it happens to someone you know, wealthy and famous and powerful, it might happen to me so i better straighten my life out. Exactly.
0: Paris has stated that Letterman's intent was purposefully trying to humiliate her. According to Paris, in an interview with E!, Letterman said the topic of jail wouldn't be covered in the interview, which is why she agreed to the interview in the first place. Spoiler alert, Letterman hammered on Paris's time in jail from what she ate to if she made friends or not.
2: Wait, so you're telling me David Letterman, who we recently saw a clip of being an asshole to Lindsay Lohan, was also an asshole to Paris Hilton? Wait, David Letterman is a, kind of a misogynist over and over in his interviews to make people laugh? <laughs> Crazy. This is so wild. Uh, I hate these. I hate all this. I hate these people for this.
0: I also, I really hated that, like, quote unquote, save that he tried to do making about the youngsters and how they were straightened out their lives. No, no. That that had no impact on people. <laughs>
2: Also, his audience are youngsters' parents. Shut up. You were all about right, like, participating yeah. in the humiliation of a young person who y'all are mad at, who's rich, famous, making more money than all of you, besides David Letterman, but everyone else. And you just wanted to make her, like, the butt of all the jokes. No. Stop. Yeah. And I hate when people do that, when they're like, I'm, I'm doing this because I care about you. No, you're doing this because you don't care about me. And that's what this ha- this is. He doesn't care about her. He thinks she's a joke. And he's trying to make her a joke. So There you go. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well Sorry, said. I could
2: go on and on. I know I've you could. The- and I
0: love listening to you. (laughs)
2: i recently was on clubhouse i think i'm doing another clubhouse soon i'll let y'all know uh, where we'll talk about this again it's just my favorite place to the kiki about how misogynistic white street men are so here we go speaking of problematic white men Six Dr. Seuss books will stop being published because of racist and insensitive imagery. Among those books are, and to think I saw it on Mulberry Street, an Asian person is portrayed wearing a conical hat, holding chopsticks, and eating from a bowl. If I Ran the Zoo includes a drawing of two barefooted African men wearing what appear to be grass skirts and their hair tied above their heads. Dr. Seuss Enterprises put out a statement saying, these books portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. They followed up by noting, Dr. Seuss Enterprises listened and took feedback from our audiences, including teachers, academics, and specialists in the field as part of our review process. We then worked with a panel of experts, including educators, to review our catalog of titles.
0: I'm so happy that teachers are also the ones that are like, hey, we don't want these in our classrooms anymore because, okay, you weren't here for our conversation yesterday, Zach, but we were talking about Ginny in Georgia. And in the first episode, uh, 15-year-old Ginny, she basically gets her syllabus in her English class and she's like, and. Ginny is black and she so she gets a syllabus and her white teacher and she's like, "Um, yeah, like 15 out of 18 of these are written by white men. So, yes, I'm all for teachers being like, hey, how about we revamp what's in our classrooms?
2: I'm so into it. And because it's necessary, because I know people are mad at the Dr. Seuss books getting pulled because they're saying we're canceling Dr. Seuss. But fun fact Dr. Seuss has been dead for a while. So he is canceled already. So moving on from that fact. But, you know, these books, you have to ask yourself as a white person specifically, why do you need to laugh at these caricatures of African folk and Asian folk? And that's where you can find the racism in it because it's only you laughing. It's only these are things that white people find funny. Me as a black person, I'm not going to find this funny. So this is just part of a colonial imagination that isn't real. It's a fantasy. So let's create new work that is not a fan. Well, if it's a fantasy, let black people write it or Asian people write it. But
0: <laughs> there you go. Dr. There you Seuss go. Has yes. other
2: stuff. The Grinch is untouchable. There you go. You have the Grinch.
0: <laughs> yes, that's end on the Grinch. Okay. So, <laughs> listeners, our guest today needs no introduction because he's literally already here. It's Her own Zach Stafford, he has a brand new book out today that he's co-authored titled When Dogs Heal. It contains the beautiful stories and images of people living with HIV and the dogs that saved their lives. Hi, Zach.
2: Hi, this is so weird to be on this part (laughs) of it. That was so interesting. (laughs) Hi. And you know, I didn't do the thing where I'm like, how are you doing? Because fun fact, you should never begin any interview with how are you doing.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And that is a fun fact you've taught me. And yet there we you still go. do it all the time. We and then the we'll be time. like, we're like, oh, okay, we got to take it again.
2: <laughs> well, because it's usually like, it's just you and your friends and people don't. Really, right. Yeah, can, exactly. So. And
0: I genuinely want to know how you're doing. Yeah, I know. And
2: people <laughs> listening are like, I don't give a damn. Okay. Up. Now
0: everyone's like, everyone's listening like, wrap it up. You're talking about why you shouldn't be talking about the thing you're talking about. Anyways, Zach, congratulations. This book is beautiful and it's so touching. I know you've been working on this for years. How did the project come together?
2: Yeah. So the book... Uh, I think I started working on it in 2014. And it was not meant to be a book at all. Years ago, when I was starting off as a journalist, as you know, Casey, writing doesn't really pay a lot of money, especially when you're starting. <laughs> you
0: don't you don't say Zach. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, you know, especially when you're starting off. And I was living in Chicago, and you know, I had deferred graduate school. And I was like, do I want to be a journalist or do I want to be an academic? And the middle point of that was I was doing a lot of research around HIV positive folks and LGBTQ folks. And that's what my graduate work was on, too. And I took a few years off. And I started working for this guy named Dr. Rob Garfalo, who's like one of the most famous HIV researchers in the world. His work on uh, LGBTQ youth, HIV positive youth, is really really profound. And he actually has created one of the first um, gender affirming care centers for trans kids in the world. So he's like very well known in that space. So I was like, I want to work for this guy. And this guy had recently tested positive for HIV at the time. And as like a pretty famous person in academia who researched HIV, he felt a lot of shame to then test positive. And during his own, you know, process of dealing with that due to various things going on in his life, He adopted a dog named Fred, and he told me that Fred saved his life. And I was like, this is, that's not possible. What are you talking about? And he launched a charity at the same time. And the charity became really popular out of nowhere because people love dogs. And they loved him and his dog's relationship. And very quickly, I saw that, like, wait, as someone that thinks a lot about HIV, I've never seen so many people in the mainstream world who are not, like, gay or queer or anything wanting to talk about HIV. It's because of this dog. So, like, I wonder if this could scale up. Can we do it? And that's kind of how it began. It was this idea like, can dogs make people think about HAV more? And now seven years later, <laughs> you are did.
0: like, as kind of like sad and backwards as that sound. It's like, yes, love dogs, support dogs, save all dogs. But also it's like, there is that trend that we've noticed where people tend to have more empathy for animals than humans. So that yes. is such an interesting combo that you're like, wait, let's do both. Let's have empathy for both.
2: Yeah, I was like, <laughs> this man is like very renowned doctor, like doctor. And you guys are only kidding. Caring right now because of his dog is really cute um, but the dog was you know um, the entry point to the, uh, yes, the, ga- yes. the gateway drug per se and he, and he created this whole audience that now like cares a lot about about the community
0: which then led you to getting to like travel the country and talking to dozens of people about how their relationships with their dog saved them were there any universal truths you felt like you heard over and over when talking to people
2: yeah, you know, when I first went out to start talking to folks, I think the first city I went to was San Francisco, which has a very you know specific history with HIV. It was hit really hard when the epidemic started raging due to the Castro being one of the biggest you know safe spaces for queer people in the world at the time in the '80s, um, and HIV did ravage it really quickly. I was there and I kept meeting these people because the book is 36 stories uh, and that's 36 people I interviewed, talked to many, many times and then had to work with them to tell their own story and they were also photographed uh, by the photographer Jesse Friedan, who's one of the top half photographers in the world and from jump I began to hear echoes of what Rob had been telling me about how like Fred his dog made him believe that he deserved love and that love made him get out of bed, made him go back to work and that love then multiplied and made him want to take care of other people and it just this, like, the contagiousness of love that allowed you to love yourself was this incredible thing that I was like, I want to keep going here. I keep wanting to dive into this. And we saw through these stories all these, like, systemic problems begin to appear. So, stories of, like, not being able to get housing because you're afraid of discrimination, how racism it impacted you, how misogyny impacted you. It all came to light, but it was all being told through this relationship of, like, going through something terrible, meeting a dog. The dog, allowing a light bulb moment to happen and then you by taking care of this dog taking care of yourself and then your life got better and it was all because of the resiliency they all had and i just was like this is beautiful i want to keep doing this and then i met I mean, I would say through the process, we met, I talked to countless people. I used Grinder a lot to find people. I think my mother oh, wow. at the time, I was using Grinder a lot to do reporting. And so I mean, it was just really funny. I eventually worked at Grindr, but uh, my mom would tell me that I was using it as an excuse to meet a man at the time, <laughs> and which was not true. I mean, maybe I did meet a man at the time, who knows? But this was really like a project <laughs> that I was like trying to get out in the community in all the most inventive mm-hmm. ways as possible to find these stories. And we found them. So I met like dozens and dozens of people. But the final product right now is 36 people.
0: Ugh. And out of I'm sure all of those are incredibly moving. But is there anyone that like particularly stands out to you or you were connected to?
2: Yeah, there's this woman, her name is Linnea. Um, she adopted a dog named Coconut. And they're the most adorable family. They live in uh, Southern California with her daughter. And when I met her, something that was incredible is that, you know, in the 90s and 80s, there was this thing happening at a high frequency called vertical transmissions, which are people who are born with HIV because their, their mom is positive. She doesn't know it. She has a baby, and it's a vertical transmission there. And it's a very specific class of people because we were able to solve that medically really fast. That doesn't happen very much in the West anymore. It's very manageable. HIV is an incredibly manageable thing. But she's one of these people that due to the window in which she was born, she did test positive. And her story, as you read in the book, it was she was seven years old when she found out she was HIV positive. And at the time, Ryan White, who was this young white boy who became very famous in the early nineties for testing positive due to a blood transfusion. Um, he became like the face and now there's called the Ryan White grant, which is federal funding for HIV positive services. Um, but anyway, she was on TV and that was the same year that she found out she was positive. And her parents told her, her mother rather said, you cannot tell anybody. You cannot tell people they will not love you. They will not. Treat you well, you gotta hide this. And she grew up having to hide so much of herself. And what she tells in the story is that it led her to think that. She would never find love, and being her full self would never be a loving thing, a loving process, and it led her to a lot of abusive relationships, and she was with these men who just abused her financially and physically, emotionally, everything, and she dealt with it, just let it happen, because she thought that's what she deserved. So then she has a baby, a beautiful baby, and she has the baby, at the same time she gets a dog, and she has this dog and this puppy, and she realizes that, like, she, I remember her telling me, we were sitting in a studio in LA, she said it was the first time in her life that she felt the love that didn't hurt. And that just stuck with me forever to this day. I think about it so much. I love that didn't hurt. And very quickly after that, she left her husband and built her own life. She experienced homelessness really briefly, but got into her own housing. And now her and her child and the dog are still alive and thriving. And it just really was the most magnificent thing because, you know, it's so cliche to say love heals all. What it showed for me in that moment and why the project then got a lot of steam after that was like, if you can love something, it tells you that you also deserve that love back. And that's like RuPaul always says that, like, how are you going to love yourself if you can't love somebody else or whatever? And these people became that focus for me. And I was like, okay, cool. Love. Love is the medicine. Let's focus on And
0: you know what? It. And it's specifically medicine for the S word you brought up, shame. And shame, like Brene Brown says, is a gremlin that hides in the darkness and the shadows. And that is a very hard thing to overcome. So but I'm glad that it's dogs and these love help with that. I really am. And you know, what? we'll be right back to talk more about your book and your work with the HIV community.
1: At It, we're tired of hearing new year, new you fat burning secrets and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at shefit.com slash 2022.
2: What grows in the forest? Trees? Sure. Know what else grows in the forest? Our imagination. Our sense of wonder.
1: The NFL playoffs are here, and the Super Bowl is right around the corner. You can follow the action like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move to Six podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us bring knowledge from careers as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. After the Super Bowl, it's draft season. If you want to go in-depth on this year's prospects and learn what makes the top players stand out, There's no better podcast than Move the Sticks. We'll break down film from the professional and college games so you can know which player to look out for when the football season returns next fall. You'll learn a ton about the NFL, and I promise we'll make it fun along the way. We'll have several new episodes dropping each week, and you don't want to miss a single one. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeartRadio app on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back. We're talking with our very own Zach Stafford about his new book, Out Today, When Dogs Heal. The book focuses on the relationships between HIV positive communities and their dogs. You know, you've been advocating for this community for years. Why does this cause mean so much to
2: you? I feel like it was just my birthday, so everything feels a lot bigger than it used to. And I'm like, (laughs) wow, I've been really doing some work in this space for a while, for like 12, 15 years or something crazy. But yeah, so I mean, my own personal story with HIV is, you know, beyond doing research and writing about it as a reporter at various outlets is uh, my first experience with it was when I was, I think, 11 or 12, um, and my grandmother she was dying from complications from the virus. uh, And I had never met her before. And my first day meeting her was at a hospital in Baltimore. And I remember the day so, so clearly, and that was the first time I really got to understand how impactful HIV can be, and also just how loneliness can be. And I won't get into all the details of why we never met, but she she seemed to have an incredibly lonely life and wasn't around family for a long time, and not until the very end of her life that she got to see a lot of family. That was the first day I met her. And it was just, I remember walking into the hospital that day, and out front in Baltimore, there was a homeless black woman with her child. And they had asked me for money, and I had some money in my pocket, and I held onto it. And I walked in, and after I met my grandmother, had this experience. I walked out, and I saw them, and I gave them the money. And in that moment, it was kind of this weight. This moment, I was like, the world is really messy, and people are going through things they don't need to go through, and they're going through it alone. And a year later, I believe my uncle, who was gay but closeted, um, was dying from HIV as well from complications from the virus, um, and his process was really, really, really lonely. So those two people have always stuck in my mind of like this there's this virus that like people are going through and they're having to go through it by themselves and they don't have to and it began to make me think what happens if we just love on these people how could it be different and that's kind of what motivated me to work in the space for years it's like these people are alone and I saw people who I cared about a lot go through this and they they shouldn't have to so that's the beginning of it, and then it kind of became this writing obsession, research obsession, and now. And then I got to run, you know, the Advocate, which is the largest LGBTQ magazine in the world, and we cover HIV at every level. So it's just something I'm I'm always going to be thinking about, but it's something that we don't talk enough about. I think
0: definitely not. And you know what's actually interesting is that you know your book is coming out at a time where it feels like the world is paying renewed attention to the HIV AIDS epidemic. Following the release of It's a Sin on HBO Max, why do you think these stories are resonating right now?
2: Yeah, I've been thinking about It's a Sin so much because, you know, my book that I did with my collaborators was supposed to come out, I think, a year ago, and it got pushed back because of the pandemic. And we've been talking so much leading up to this with everyone about how different this book feels now in COVID-19, because people are thinking a lot about the AIDS epidemic in the 80s and 90s, and also that it still rages on. But, you know, it was much more in focus in the 90s, uh, especially. And that, you know, there are a lot of similarities between COVID-19 and HIV, and It's a Sin really shows that. And I think like what's this really big parallel there is that someone one day can get a virus that uh, that makes people respond with a lot of fear. And that fear makes them wanna not talk to you, not be around you, not touch you. And through that, you see this loneliness happen and you see all these people do die. And I think those two themes of loneliness and fear are what are really sticking with people when they watch It's a Sin, that they're like, oh my God, what would it be like if I had something happen to me medically that made my whole family just reject me and not talk to me? And then I died alone. And just how horrible that is. And COVID-19 has made a lot of people experience that loneliness of a death alone. I mean, we've heard so many stories of people's grandparents having to die alone in a hospital bed, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's why this show is really hitting a lot. And where I'm thinking a lot about the book and why I think the book and the show really go well together if we're going to be talking about you know, communicable diseases and viruses right now is like the book for me offers a way for us all to imagine a world in which what if or ask makes us ask the question of what if we responded to things we don't know about with love instead of fear because every time we deal with something that like we don't know what it is people get very scared and they like respond with fear and hatred and we see that happen and we're seeing that happen a lot with you know asian folks in america right now are dealing with so much hate because people think Asian people are a virus and they're not a virus. They're a people. Racism is the virus. And, you know, so much of When Dogs Heal is about that too and that process. And you get to see it very clearly, what happens when you do respond with fear from people. Um, but it also gives you this moment of like what happens if love happens. And It's a Sin does that too. There are people in that show that love on these characters so much. And that's where they find peace um, and refuge. And I just think like, again, you know, to be cliche, love. Really just choose love. If you've got two options, choose love. Don't choose hate.
0: No. <laughs> keep on being cliche for forever. Okay. Zach, I do have one final question for you. And I am so curious because we know you love dogs. I mean, you literally co-wrote a book about them, but how have you avoided adopting a lockdown puppy?
2: It's, I don't even know how, I think it's because (laughs) I was in New York in the beginning and my building didn't allow it. I think if they had allowed it, it would have happened but now that i'm in la i think about it so much i very much like <laughs> now I that the like... weather
0: is just gorgeous all the time yes. it's like i need to be outside with a puppy
2: <laughs> yes and also i see like how dogs get people meant. Like they really help you in your dating, life. <laughs> like. And I'm just like, you know, I'm 31 now. She's not. She's like moving north of 30. She needs to lock it down. And if that requires a golden retriever, a great dane, or something, I'm interested. So listen, anyone...
0: I'm gonna I'm gonna text your mom and tell and tell her Zach's moved on from Grinder. He found a dog.
2: <laughs> wow, that is my motivation in life. Through all my artistic practice and journalism, is how do I find a man through? Storytelling. This is the story of zach Safford. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much for talking to us about your book. It's
2: been so great. Oh my God. Thank you for letting me talk about it. You know, I've been like hiding this book for, I've been hiding this from people for a long time now. So everyone's like, wait, you have a book coming? And I'm like, yeah. I just feel, feel weird about it, but I'm glad I got to talk about it with you. <laughs>
0: Okay, well, I guess, you know, you're also still very much the co-host of the show. So now we have to do that awkward thing where you say goodbye to someone, but then walk in the same direction as them. So, <laughs> so Zach, <laughs> do you want to walk in the same direction as me as we close this
2: episode? Let's do it. I love this proverbial walkouts <laughs> together. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for today. Come back and join us tomorrow.
0: And remember, don't give David Letterman a free pass. He didn't give any to Paris or Lindsay or anyone else back in the
2: 2000s. Be sure to subscribe to BuzzFeed Daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories.
0: And please take the time to leave us a reading and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to come back for more of what you love about BuzzFeed, coming to you daily.
1: Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality, and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635635. It takes all of us to advance social justice. You can watch the NFL playoffs like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move the Sticks podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us are bringing the knowledge from a career as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. We'll break down film from the professional and college game to get you ready for the Super Bowl, the draft, and kickoff next fall. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeart Radio app on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.